This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Hello, welcome to the program and I hope you've had a great week. Did you manage to remember and practice according to the five signs of successful mind training we mentioned last time? In other words, did you mostly cherish others more than yourself? Out of conviction in the karmic law of cause and effect, did you avoid non-virtuous actions? Did you face up to negative emotions and perhaps go through some difficulty while ensuring that they didn't cause you or anybody else any harm at all? Did you act through body, speech and mind, mostly in harmony with the mind training we've been going through over the last few weeks? I think most of us, me included, would have to prevaricate about those questions, not telling any outright lies, but admitting our actions have not followed our intentions as well as we would have liked to. It's a long, slow job, this mind training, and we have to give ourselves lots of time. Now remember that we are looking at a commentary called Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun of another text titled The Seven Points of Mind Training. In its latter stages, The Seven Points of Mind Training goes into a list of somewhat enigmatic slogans that we can use as mnemonics to aid us to stay within the strictures of the mind training teachings. So we've come across slogans like Integrate all teachings into one. Primary importance should be given to the two witnesses. Constantly cultivate only a joyful mind. And the trained mind retains control even when distracted. Now this last one is the slogan we were discussing when our last program came to an end. And it seems particularly appropriate to us because the objects of distraction have proliferated so quickly in the last few decades. Now we can hardly move without something else claiming our attention. You might remember we ended the last program with a quote from the book The Distracted Mind, Ancient Brains in a High-Tech World by Dr. Adam Gazzley, Professor of Neurology and Psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco and Dr. Larry D. Rosen, Professor Emeritus of Psychology at California State University, Dominguez Hills. Our technology-rich world has proven to be both a blessing and a curse, writes Gasly and Rosen. While on the one hand we have access to information or people anywhere at any time, on the other hand we find our attention constantly drawn by the rich, multi-sensory technological environments. It all started with a graphical user interface that took us from the flat two-dimensional text-based environment that operated on a line-by-line basis similar to a typewriter to a small picture depicting an operation or program. From there, it was a short hop to a completely multi-century world appealing to all of our visual, auditory and tactile or kinesthetic senses. We now see videos in high definition, often in simulated 3D. We hear high-definition stereo sounds that feel as crisp as sounds in the real world. Our devices vibrate, shake, rattle and roll, and our attention is captured. It is no accident that we now attach specific ringtones and vibrations 
to certain people to grab our attention. Our technology continues to find ways to attract our attention because this is what brings eyeballs. And the common marketing wisdom is that eyeballs bring money. As you glance at your iPhone, you see little red circles with white numbers indicating that something awaits you. Four unread email messages, ten Facebook notifications, and so many reminders that your mind is overwhelmed with which icon to tap first. Your iPad does the same, as does your laptop, which particularly taunts you with numeric notifications of unread messages, flashing icons telling you that you need to back up your computer files, and on and on. One interesting aspect of this penchant for combining tasks is that we seem to have lost the ability to single task. Glance around a restaurant, look at people walking on a city street, pay attention to people waiting in line for a movie or a theatre, and you will see busily tapping fingers. We act as though we are no longer interested in or able to stay idle and simply do nothing. We appear to care more about the people who are available through our devices than those who are right in front of our faces. And perhaps more critically, we appear to have lost the ability to simply be alone with our thoughts. Well, what does this say about mind training? If we can't be alone with our own mental space, never mind our thoughts, how can we ever become familiar enough with mind training instructions so that we are in control even when distracted? Professor Gasly has something to say about answering these questions. But now, before we go any further... Let's remember to examine our motivation for participating in the program, as we usually do. And as usual, even if it seems a bit forced or inauthentic, let's set the highest motivation possible in a Buddhist context, that is bodhicitta. May our participation in this program be the cause for our enlightenment, so that we can be of the greatest benefit to all living beings. But put that into your own words. Thank you. On the website journal.thriveglobal.com is an article by Professor Gazzali titled Taking Control of Your Distracted Mind. I think you'll find what he says interesting. He writes, Many of us are awakening to the reality that modern humans are now faced with a critical need to manage our lives more intentionally in the increasingly complex environment that we inhabit. Let's speak plainly here. This is the direct result of interference generated by the recent explosion in accessibility to information. Consumer technology has ushered in an age where information has been elevated to the level of ultimate commodity. And as described in The Distracted Mind, Ancient Brains in a High-Tech World, accessibility is only the surface of this issue, as our technological innovations have been accompanied by a shift in societal expectations such that we now demand immediate responsiveness and continuous produ productivity. A never-ending stream of high-tech advances has offered us an incredible opportunity to communicate with each other and entertain ourselves, but it has also challenged our brains at a fundamental level. The result has been a negative impact on our lives, expressed not just as diminished productivity in work and study, but increased stress more anxiety, and a deterioration in our relationships, sleep, and health. To truly understand this interference dilemma, and hopefully leverage this insight to use technology in a healthier way, 
we need to appreciate that there are two dominant and competing forces that guide how we interact with the world around us, bottom-up and top-down. Bottom-up is a primitive source of influence on our behavior. It is ruled by salient, unexpected, dramatic, sudden and novel events that reflexively command our attention. At its most basic, bursts of lights, sounds and of vibrations, but also hearing your name uttered quietly behind you. We have no choice but to pay attention to them, even if we are trying to direct our mental resources elsewhere. This, in turn, powerfully impacts how we perceive the world and how we act in it. The evolutionary pressures that supported the development of these bottom-up mechanisms in our primordial nervous system were enormous. Sensitivity to such stimuli in our environment is what ensured the survival of our ancestors by reflexively guiding them away from danger and towards sustenance. And make no mistake, sensitivity to bottom-up influences is still very relevant to us modern humans. Try navigating the streets of Manhattan. And fortunately, our brains still retain these essential neural systems. Top-down is the influence that our goals have on our behavior. It is what allows us to direct our limited cognitive resources to where, when and what we decide deserves our consideration. Top-down allows us to deliberately direct our attention to what we choose as relevant and then sustain that focus over time, even if the content may be boring. It is the filter we apply to block out information that we deem as irrelevant to accomplishing our goals. Top-down has broken the reflexive perception-action cycle that drives the behaviors of other animals. It has freed us from being slaves to our sensory world and has thus fostered the conditions necessary for the emergence of culture, art, music, language and technology. All of our interactions with the world are the outcome of an ongoing competition between these forces of bottom-up and top-down. This has been true throughout the course of human evolution. But recently, something has shifted the balance of power. Evidence is emerging to suggest that unprecedented access to information, notably the manner in which we simultaneously engage with multiple tech devices and information streams, multitasking, has not just created more bottom-up noise, but has actually made us more sensitive to bottom-up interference, more distractible, and thus less effective in using our top-down attention abilities when we really need to. Perhaps even more influential on shifting this balance is that our tech devices now have the ability to ping us when they have something to share. This incessant tugging on our attention by a myriad of vibrations, sounds and visual notifications is the very hallmark of bottom-up. While it may be evident to you that the quality of that conversation with your friend that conference call with your colleagues, that safe drive home. Indeed, all of your daily top-down activities is now challenged by incessant bottom-up notifications from our devices. This is only half of the battle. Bottom-up influences are also created within our minds, without a stimulus from the outside world. Thoughts, feelings, inclinations and urges spontaneously arise as internal distractions that create interference with our top-down goals. In The Distracted Mind, that's his book, we propose that those same tech device notifications and societal expectations that have conditioned us to respond more reflexively 
to external bottom-up distractions have also led to more internally generated distractions. Bottom-up sensitivity is further exacerbated by two other factors. First, constant anticipation of receiving rapid rewards in the form of new and interesting information has increased boredom when we engage in a single activity. A growing lack of tolerance to boredom is especially troublesome, given that it is in those quiet times that the sparks of creativity are ignited. Second, we suffer anxiety from fear of missing out, FOMO, on another activity when we try to focus on a single goal, which has been intensified by the presence of social media. Both boredom and anxiety make us more likely to engage with intrusive thoughts and feelings that fuel a premature toggling to a new information source. Studies have shown that students and office workers only attend to a single task for three to five minutes before switching to another task, with internal distractions triggering the switch just as often as external digital notifications. This shift in the balance of power from top down to bottom up is pervasive throughout our lives. We increasingly find ourselves being pushed and pulled by bottom-up forces, both externally and internally generated, leading us to be less adept at sustaining top-down interactions with our world. The negative ramifications of this are broad and deep. Now that tech inhabits our classrooms, workplace, restaurants, bedrooms, bathrooms, and goes on vacation with us. We can recognize that this phenomenon was even at play in our recent political campaigns, Bright, loud and dramatic, classic bottom-up influences won the competition for our attention, feeding biases and emotions that interfered with top-down focus and sustained thinking critical for engaging in boring policy discussions essential for important decision-making. Technology is not our enemy. We cannot and should not abandon it. Not that you would, even if I told you to. Rather, we need to make more informed decisions about how we use technology based on a richer understanding of how our brains interact with our environment. We can employ this knowledge to shift the balance from bottom-up to top-down. But rebuilding degraded top-down processes in adults and developing top-down abilities de novo in children take effort and a strategy. Some approaches we suggest in The Distracted Mind include Restricting accessibility, for example, turning off email notifications, shutting down your phone. Setting expectations, for, for instance, do not interrupt signs. And taking non-tech breaks, for example, physical exercise, nature exposure, meditation. When engaged in activities that demand the singular attention necessary to produce high-quality results and meaningful interactions. It is time to develop awareness of the factors that influence our behavior, notably the role of boredom and anxiety, and structure our lives and technology in a manner that enhances the core of make what makes us human. It is time to take control. That's Professor Adam Gazzali. Of course, from a Buddhist perspective, developing awareness of the factors that influence our behavior and taking control doesn't mean just taking walks in the forest, physical training, or turning off the smartphone. These might help in the short term, but to really take control, we need to look into our mind and become deeply aware of what is going on, so deeply aware that it doesn't matter whether the iPhone is on or off.
This is the mind training that our text is talking about. How can we function fully in our technological circus of a world and still be in complete control of ourselves? This is a matter of meditation, not just to relieve stress and find an oasis or two of calm, but to exist with a mind like the sky, in which things like birds and airplanes, clouds and dust can come and go, sometimes in great number, but the sky remains itself, permitting and unmoved. Jack Cornfield talks about this kind of meditation on the website jackcornfield.com in an article titled A Mind Like Sky. He writes, Meditation comes alive through a growing capacity to release our habitual entanglements in the stories and plans, conflicts and worries that make up the small sense of self and to rest in awareness. In meditation, we do this simply by acknowledging the moment-to-moment changing conditions the pleasure and pain, the praise and blame, the litany of ideas and expectations that arise. Without identifying with them, we can rest in the awareness itself, beyond conditions, and experience what my teacher Ajahn Chah called Jai Pongsai, our natural lightness of heart. Developing this capacity to rest in awareness nourishes samadhi, that's concentration, which stabilizes and clarifies the mind and prajna, or wisdom that sees things as they are. We can employ this awareness or wise attention from the very start. When we first sit down to meditate, the best strategy is to simply notice whatever state our body and mind is present. To establish the foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha instructs his followers to observe whether the body and mind are distracted or steady, angry or peaceful, excited or worried, contracted or released, bound or free. Observing what is so, we can take a few deep breaths and relax, making space for whatever situation we find. From this ground of acceptance, we can learn to use the transformative power of attention in a flexible and malleable way. Wise attention, mindfulness, can function like a zoom lens. Often it is most helpful to steady our practice with close-up attention. In this, we bring a careful attention and a very close focus to our breath or a sensation or to the precise movement of feeling or thought. Over time, we can eventually become so absorbed that subject and object disappear. We become the breath. We become the tingling in our foot. We become the sadness or joy. In this, we sense ourselves being born, dying with each breath, each experience. Entanglement in our ordinary sense of self dissolves Our troubles and fears drop away. Our entire experience of the world shows itself to be impermanent, ungraspable and selfless. Wisdom is born. But sometimes in meditation, such close focus of attention can create an unnecessary sense of tightness and struggle. So we must find a more open way to pay attention. Or perhaps when we are mindfully walking down the street, we realize it is not helpful to focus only on our breath or our feet. We will miss the traffic signals, the morning light and the faces of the passers-by. So we open the lens of awareness to a middle range. When we do this as we sit, instead of focusing on the breath alone, we can feel the energy of our whole body. As we walk, we can feel the rhythm of our whole movement and the circumstances through which we move. From this perspective, it is almost as if awareness sits on our shoulder and respectfully acknowledges a breath 
a pain in our legs, a thought about dinner, a feeling of sadness, a shop window we pass. Here, wise attention has a gracious witnessing quality, acknowledging each event, whether boredom or jealousy, plans or excitement, gain or loss, pleasure or pain, with a slight bow. Moment by moment, we release the illusion of getting somewhere and rest in the timeless present, witnessing with easy awareness all that passes by. As we let go, our innate freedom and wisdom manifest. Nothing to have, nothing to be. Ajahn Chah calls this resting in the one who knows. Yet at times, this middle level of attention does not serve our practice best. We might find ourselves caught in the grip of some repetitive thought pattern or painful situation, or lost in great physical or emotional suffering. Perhaps there's chaos and noise around us. We sit and our heart is tight, our body and mind are neither relaxed nor gracious, and even the witnessing can seem tedious, forced, effortful. In this circumstance, we can open the lens of attention to its widest angle and let our awareness become like space or the sky. As the Buddha instructs in the Majinama Nikaya, develop a mind that is vast like space, where experiences both pleasant and unpleasant can appear and disappear without conflict, struggle or harm. Rest in a mind like vast sky. From this broad perspective, when we sit or walk in meditation, we open our attention like space, letting experiences arise without any boundaries, without inside or outside. Instead of the ordinary orientation where our mind is felt to be inside our head, we can let go and experience the mind's awareness as open, boundless and vast. We allow awareness to experience consciousness that is not entangled in the particular conditions of sight, sound and feelings, but consciousness that is independent of changing conditions, the unconditioned. Ajahn Jumnin, a Thai forest elder, speaks of this form of practice as Mahavipassana, resting in pure awareness itself, timeless and unborn. For the meditator, this is not an ideal or a distant experience. It is always immediate, ever-present, liberating. It becomes the resting place of the wise heart. Fully absorbed, graciously witnessing, or open and spacious. Which of these lenses is the best way to practice awareness? Is there an optimal way to pay attention? The answer is all of the above. Awareness is infinitely malleable and it's important not to fixate on any one form as best. Mistakenly, some traditions teach that losing the self and dissolving into a breath or absorbing into an experience is the optimal form of attention. Other traditions erroneously believe that resting in the widest angle, the open consciousness of space, is the highest teaching. Still others say that the middle ground, an ordinary free and relaxed awareness of whatever arises here and now, nothing special, is the highest attainment. Yet in its true nature, awareness cannot be limited. Consciousness itself is both large and small, particular and universal. At different times, our practice will require that we embrace all these perspectives. Every form of genuine awareness is liberating. Each moment we release entanglement and identification is selfless and free. But remember too that every practice of awareness can create a shadow 
when we mistakenly cling to it. A misuse of space can easily lead us to become spaced out and unfocused. A misuse of absorption can lead to denial, an ignoring of other experiences, and a misuse of ordinary awareness can create a false sense of self as a witness. These shadows are subtle veils of meditative clinging. See them for what they are and let them go, and learn to work with all the lenses of awareness to serve your wise attention. The more you experience the power of wise attention, the more your trust in the ground of awareness itself will grow. You will learn to relax and let go. In any moment of being caught, awareness will step in, a presence without judging or resisting. Close in or vast, near or far, awareness illuminates the ungraspable nature of the universe. It returns the heart and mind to its birthright, naturally luminous and free. To amplify and deepen an understanding of how to practice with awareness as space, the following instru instructions can be helpful. One of the most accessible ways to open to spacious awareness is through the ear door, listening to the sounds of the universe around us. Because the river of sound comes and goes so naturally and is so obviously out of our control, listening brings the mind to a naturally balanced state of openness and attention. I learned this particular practice of sound as a getaway to space from my colleague Joseph Goldstein more than 25 years ago and have used it ever since. Awareness of sound in space can be an excellent way to begin practice because it initiates the sitting period with a flavor of wakeful ease and spacious letting go. Or it can be used after a period of focused attention. Whenever you begin, sit comfortably and at ease. Let your body be at rest and your breathing be natural. Close your eyes. Take several full breaths and let each release gently. Allow yourself to be still. Now shift awareness away from the breath. Begin to listen to the play of sounds around you. Notice those that are loud and soft, far and near. Just listen. Notice how all sounds arise and vanish, leaving no trace. Listen for a time in a relaxed, open way. As you listen, let yourself sense or imagine that your mind is not limited to your head. Sense that your mind is expanded to be like the sky, open, clear, vast, like space. There is no inside or outside. Let the awareness of your mind extend in every direction like the sky. Now the sounds you hear will arise and pass away in the open space of your own mind. Relax in this openness and just listen. Let the sounds that come and go, whether far or near, be like clouds in the vast sky of your own awareness. The play of sounds moves through the sky, appearing and disappearing without resistance. As you rest in this open awareness, notice how thoughts and images also arise and vanish like sounds. Let the thoughts and images come and go without struggle or resistance. Pleasant and unpleasant thoughts, pictures, words and feelings move unrestricted in the space of mind. Problems, possibilities, joys and sorrows come and go like clouds in the clear sky of mind. That is Jack Cornfield. Can we be in such a state that whatever technological device demands our bottom-up attention, we stay in this pure awareness, able to let the almost irresistible urge to identify and act pass on through like a bird passes through the unmoved sky. This is perhaps the measure of our mind training. 
But now we have to say farewell until next time. I hope the program has been of some benefit and that you will join us again next week. Please dedicate as usual all the positive potential we've accumulated today to gaining enlightenment for all beings. Go well, thank you, and goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.